Hi everyone, I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode, we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history. And today we are going to be talking about the case of Barbara Opal. So Barbara was a woman who, without putting it too bluntly, was a pretty terrible person. She was a single mother of three. She didn't have too much going on in her life. She never had any money. She always needed a place to live And in order to remedy this, Barbara decided to manipulate her very own children into committing one of the most horrific acts imaginable. And seriously, what happened in this case today is unbelievable. When I first read about this case, it shocked me to my core. This woman is just the worst. And the fact that she used her own children in her manipulation and her schemes. She just makes me so angry. This case really does make my blood boil. And the main difficulty with this case is that some of the people involved in this horrific act are children. And I mean very young children. And after understanding everything that goes on, you are left with the question, how culpable are they? So it's a difficult one today. This case absolutely did not need to happen. I still really can't believe that it did, just truly. And that is what we are going to be getting into today. So let's dive in. Barbara was born on the 16th of May, 1963, making her a Taurus. And she grew up in the city of Bothell. Bothell, I really hope that that is how you pronounce it, in Washington, and it's just outside of Seattle. And Barbara's childhood, chaotic from day one. And it is a little bit confusing, her childhood, so I'm just going to kind of speed through it. But basically, Barbara was the result of an affair that her mom had, and the affair was secret. So Barbara's mom's husband didn't know about the affair, if that makes sense. And Barbara's mom was so ashamed that she got pregnant. But when Barbara was born, she was left at the hospital. Her mom just completely abandoned her at the hospital, didn't want anything to do with her because she was that ashamed. And the hospital dropped Barbara off at a local orphanage. However, two months go by and Barbara's mom again felt ashamed that she had abandoned her daughter. So after two months, she went to collect Barbara from the orphanage. So then Barbara is now living in the family home. And it's just crazy that her mom abandoned her for two months. So anyway, Barbara is now living with the family. She's living with her mom and her dad, even though that is not her biological dad. Barbara grows up thinking that he is her biological dad. And things were not great either at the house. It was very, very dysfunctional. It was a very, very volatile environment because her mom, she did suffer with her mental health and she suffered with an alcohol addiction. And she was just very, very volatile. She would fly off the handle. She would take her rage out on her children, on her husband. And then a few years down the line, it got revealed that Barbara's dad was not her biological father. And this resulted in Barbara's parents getting a divorce. And following this, Barbara was introduced to her actual biological father. And it turns out that Barbara's biological father was a close family friend. Barbara's biological father had been in contact with the family and Barbara's mom the whole time. I wouldn't be surprised if Barbara's mom was carrying on the affair. But now Barbara's mom and her biological dad, they do kind of get together and he is not a good influence either. He is also a very heavy drinker. He does suffer with an alcohol addiction and he also is a heavy gambler. So this was messy. This was not good. The family also move around a lot. Barbara just never had stability in her childhood at all, which is so interesting because this is pretty much mirrored with how she raises her own children, but we'll get to that. Barbara was also turning into, quote, a very spoiled and bratty child. Because even though Barbara, she was neglected emotionally and she was in a very toxic, very volatile environment, her parents still spoiled her by buying her what 
whatever she wanted. Her biological dad, we know that he is a gambler and whenever he would win, he would spoil Barbara silly. He even at one point bought her a horse. Barbara didn't even ride the horse. She didn't know how. She didn't even bother to learn. She just wanted a horse because of what it symbolized. I can literally just imagine it. Oh, daddy, can I have a horse? And then it was around this time that it was discovered that Barbara had learning difficulties. She was suffering from something that is known as fetal alcohol syndrome. And this is because her mom drank very heavily throughout the whole pregnancy. And this caused trauma to Barbara's brain. And this meant that she developed at a much slower rate than her peers. And it also affected her decision making, which is no excuse None at all. But it will become apparent that she does have impaired decision making later on in the case. But like I said, no excuse. No, no, no excuse at all. So Barbara did struggle in school and she did struggle to make friends. But honestly, I don't think that this had anything to do with the fact that she had learning difficulties. I think this was because she was a spoiled brat and no one wanted to spend any time with her. However, throughout her childhood, there was one person that Barbara was incredibly close to, and that was her mother. But not in a good way. No, there was no mother-daughter, parent-child boundaries. No boundaries whatsoever. Because Barbara and her mom, they would go out drinking together. When Barbara is just a young teenager, underage, they would go out drinking together. They would go to the club. Barbara's mom would actively encourage her to act and be like an adult when she's a child, when she's a teenager. And take note of this because it really is so scary how Barbara and her mom their relationship is just mirrored so much in Barbara's relationship with her own children later on. It is so scary. It's deja vu. It really, really is. So now we skip forward to the late 80s and Barbara is in her 20s. She moves out of her mom's home and she gets married to a man called Bill Opal. Now this relationship was not a good one at all. It's pretty much the same kind of relationship that Barbara's mom had with her two relationships. It was very volatile. Both Barbara and Bill, they drank too much. They would always argue. They also both accused one another of being physically abusive to the other. They were both abusing one another. However, despite all of this, they thought it was a good idea to have children. They went on to have two children, a girl called Heather, who was the oldest, and then a boy called Derek. And again, it's literally deja vu because these children are born into this chaotic, volatile environment, and they literally have the same upbringing that Barbara did. However, Barbara was worse. Within months of her firstborn child, Heather, being born, Barbara was reported to to CPS because neighbours saw Barbara constantly screaming at her three-month-old baby. Neighbours could also hear Barbara slapping her newborn baby. And the neighbours did report Barbara to the CPS multiple times and CPS did come out to the home multiple times. But because the young baby, who was Heather, because the baby was clean and the home was clean, CPS didn't think that there was anything wrong. Apparently, according to CPS, there was no evidence of abuse. So no further action was taken, which really, 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 really does anger me because sometimes you can't always see abuse. So then the second baby, Derek, was born and the abuse just got worse. The two children, and they are both so young, they are left for hours on their own. Heather was only a toddler and Derek was basically a newborn baby and they are left for hours on their own. The children would also be locked in a room as punishment and left there for God knows how long. And this next thing is absolutely despicable. There was one time where Heather, it was very confusing. I think she was told to go to the bathroom, but she didn't need the bathroom, so she didn't go. So her father punished her by making her drink a whole bottle of Tabasco sauce. She was only three years old when this happened. She was made to drink a whole bottle of Tabasco sauce. No, no. I don't know the outcome of that, but... She must have been really ill. She must have been throwing up. Oh my God, it's just despicable. It's disgusting. And the abuse has been physical, but now the physical abuse gets worse because now both children are physically beaten when they don't do as they're told. There was one time where Derek, the younger son, he was misbehaving. I don't really know what he was doing, but his dad got so angry at him that he hit him in the face so hard that he broke his nose. And that is what was going on behind closed doors. And I'm sure there's probably a lot more going on that we don't 
don't know about, but this abuse was also taking place in public. Again, numerous reports were being made to the CPS. There was one time where Barbara was spotted in public grabbing Derek's hair and dragging him throughout a store. And he was kicking and screaming and he was shouting, please, mommy, please, mommy, don't hit me. There was another time where a member of the public saw Barbara shooting a BB gun at her son. There were even reports that Barbara's mom, so the children's grandmother, she was also abusing the children. There were even reports to the CPS that Barbara tried to poison her husband Bill after an argument. It's just unbelievable how many reports are being made to the CPS and they don't do anything. They come out to the home but because there is no evidence of abuse or because the children are clean or the home is clean, then everything must be okay. And by the time Heather was six years old and her younger brother Derek was four, both children were having regular counselling to help them deal with their home life. Again, this just makes me so angry because it's like, okay, so these children need regular counselling because their home life is that bad. But why won't you remove the children from the home? Why won't you do anything? However, after seven years of this volatile relationship, Barbara and Bill do get divorced. But things don't get better from here. Of course they don't because Barbara is the main person in this story and she is the main abuser. So following the divorce, we skip forward a little bit now and Barbara is in her 30s and both of her children are now in school. At some point, I'm not quite sure of the details, but Barbara does go on to have another child with another man, another girl called Tiffany. And it's just like, why do these people decide to have more children? Please stop. So Bill and Barbara, we know that they are divorced, but they are currently in a very, very messy custody battle. Bill was ordered to pay child support and he was given regular visitation rights. But Barbara didn't want to let him visit the children. She didn't want Bill to have any contact with the children whatsoever. I feel like I do kind of understand because the kind of person that he is, you've got to remember that he punched or hit in some kind of way his son and broke his nose. So I do get why she doesn't want him to have contact. But I also think that Barbara shouldn't have contact with her children. But hey-ho, that's just me. So because Barbara denied Bill any access to the children, the children didn't have any kind of father figure from this moment on. And over the years, Barbara just lived off the child support payments that Bill was making she refused to get a job, even though she was fully capable of doing that. She was just lazy. And the child payments, they weren't that much money. They were enough to get by, but the family lived very hand to mouth. And Barbara was just that person that would go around friends and family and basically scrounge off them. She would always be asking for money, a place to stay with no intention of paying anyone back. She was never grateful for anything that anyone ever did for her. And the majority of the money that she had went on her. She was number one, not her children. So her children had to go without. Her children went without food, new clothes. The family also moved around a lot. Over the space of just a few years, the family lived in 22 different locations, which included various motels or strangers' homes, various rental properties, but sometimes even their car. Barbara also continued to both verbally and physically abuse her children, and a lot of people in the public witnessed this abuse. And Barbara gained the name, quote, the screaming bitch from hell. The children were locked outside of their home for hours on end as a form of punishment. And the neighbors, whenever they would see the children outside, they would take pity on them and invite them into their warm home and give them food and drinks. The children also didn't attend school regularly. I mean, they were moving around a lot, which meant that the children did move schools. But whenever they did go to school, they always looked dirty and unhygienic. They also looked malnourished. There was just so many warning signs. There were so many people concerned about these children and I just don't understand why nothing was done. However, when the children did attend school, especially Heather, 
Heather thrived. And Heather was particularly good at sports, especially baseball. And she was so good at baseball that she used to get on the boys team at baseball and she was the star player of the whole team. However, Barbara still found a way to ruin this because whenever Heather would play, Barbara would go and watch her daughter play baseball, but she would be one of those parents screaming from the sidelines that if Heather ever did anything wrong, Barbara would hurl abuse at her daughter in front of everyone and she would reduce her daughter to tears. And the family soon gained a reputation from local counsellors in the area as the most dysfunctional family that they've ever come across. And how many dysfunctional families do counsellors come across. So that says it all. However, the situation for the Opal family was soon about to change because they would soon meet a man called Jerry Hyman. And this would change everything. And it should have changed everything for the better for the family. However, it didn't because Barbara is manipulative. She takes advantage of people. And Jerry, unfortunately, had no idea what Barbara was capable of. So Jerry Hyman, he was currently 64 years old. He was retired. He worked for I think like 30 years, his whole life for the Boeing company. And his family have described him as just the most kind, warm, generous person. He was the kind of person that would help anyone. Even if he didn't know you, he would help you in whatever way he could. He loved the outdoors, cooking, animals. He absolutely loved fishing and he owned a lakeside cabin that he would go to all the time for fishing. He would invite friends and family there. That was one of his favorite things to do. He was born back in the 1930s in North Dakota. He had also spent some time in California before moving to the state of Washington and settling in the town of Everett, which again is just outside of Seattle. Over the years, Jerry had been married multiple times. He had three children who were now adults and he had six grandchildren. And even though he had been married multiple times, he was still in contact with his ex-wives and he had really good relationships with all of his ex-partners. However, Jerry had been struck multiple times with tragedy. The first was back in 1982 when his son Michael, who was only 22 years old, was killed in a car accident. And understandably, this completely crushed Jerry. And his son's death haunted him for about 10 years. He was grieving for so, so long. However, over the years, he did manage to rebuild his life. Not forget what happened, but rebuild his life and find some happiness. He was really involved with his community. He loved sports so much and actually helped build the local sports field. But then there was more tragedy in Jerry's life. It really was one thing after another because Jerry was currently living with his mom who is 89 years old and his mom had advanced Alzheimer's. Jerry's mom, Evelyn, needed 24-hour care. Her Alzheimer's was so advanced that she was now struggling to communicate. She was also wheelchair-bound and Jerry did his absolute best to look after his mom. But then Jerry received some bad news for himself. He received a diagnosis of prostate cancer and it was terminal. He was offered treatment for his cancer, but Jerry refused because he wanted to spend as much time as he possibly could with his mom because his mom also didn't have long left. He didn't want to spend the rest of his life and the remaining life of his mom getting treatment. But given Jerry's diagnosis, he was very weak. I mean, he was very, very ill. He made the decision that he could no longer care for his mom solely on his own. He needed a carer. And this is when he came into contact with Barbara Opal. So we are now in November of 2000. At this point, Barbara is 37 years old. And Barbara was currently living in the same neighborhood as Jerry. And she heard rumors that Jerry was looking to hire a carer. Now, Barbara and Jerry, they were vaguely familiar with one another living in the same community. So when Barbara found out that Jerry was looking for a carer, Barbara was probably sat there rubbing her hands together thinking, great, great, I can use this to my advantage. Because currently Barbara was looking for a new place to stay because she was about to get evicted from her current place for not paying rent because that was always happening to Barbara. She would literally disappear in the middle of the night to avoid bailiffs, to avoid paying rent. So Barbara approached Jerry and said that she was a qualified carer which was complete BS. She wasn't. But she went to Jerry and said that she was a qualified carer. She also turned on the waterworks and said that she needed a place to stay. 
that her three children, they would be out on the streets, which is obviously true. And obviously I don't want that to happen, but that is only happening because of Barbara. And Barbara said to Jerry that she would be a carer. She would look after Jerry's mom, Evelyn, in exchange for Barbara and her three children to live with them basically for free. Now, Jerry was hesitant about this. I mean, of course he was allowing Barbara and her three children just to all of a sudden live with him. Anyone would be hesitant about that. But Jerry is so kind-hearted. As soon as he found out that three children were going to be out on the street, they had nowhere to live, Jerry agreed to this arrangement. He also thought that Barbara had good intentions. So pretty much straight away, Barbara and the three children move in with Jerry. And at first, it's all great. Jerry converts the basement into to its own little apartment so Barbara and the children have their own area. His mom Evelyn is living on the ground floor because she's bound by a wheelchair and then Jerry is living on the top floor so they all have their own separate private space. Barbara took over the caring responsibilities for Evelyn and she was actually doing a good job at first. Barbara was also taking on other responsibilities around the house such as the cooking, the cleaning, getting the grocery shopping, getting Evelyn's medicine, doing the laundry. And Jerry repaid Barbara's hard work with immense gratitude and generosity. Because just a month later, it was Christmas, Jerry bought everyone Christmas gifts. Jerry gave Barbara $300 so Barbara could go out and buy her own children Christmas gifts because Barbara had no money. Jerry bought them a Christmas tree. He decorated the whole place. He made it look really nice and magical for the children. As they entered the new year, the children and Jerry grew very close because the children, they had no father or grandfather figure in their life. And Jerry stepped into that role. He would always be treating the children with gifts and new clothes. He would help them with their homework, actually show them attention. He would take them anywhere they wanted. He would drive them here, there and everywhere. I don't know this, but I can imagine that Jerry was just really loving this new family that he had. The children also grew very close to Jerry's mom, Evelyn. They started calling her grandma and it just really was a perfect little family. All we need is Barbara to move out and things will be great. Because it's Barbara we're talking about and things will not stay this perfect forever. So because Barbara was doing like the grocery shopping and picking up Evelyn's medicine, that meant that she had access to Jerry's checkbook. And Barbara basically saw this as free money. And she soon started using Jerry's checkbook to buy herself presents. But it wasn't just that. Barbara was getting tired of being a carer. She didn't want to do it anymore. She was too lazy. So after a couple of months, she soon began to neglect Evelyn completely. Whenever Jerry was around, Barbara would be the good carer. But as soon as Jerry left, Barbara would basically just put her feet up and neglect Evelyn. And I really do mean neglect Evelyn. Evelyn is wheelchair bound. She can't really move. She can't communicate. She can't go to the bathroom on her own. She can't get dressed. Like she literally cannot do anything for herself. And Barbara just leaves her sat in her wheelchair. She doesn't give her food. She doesn't give her water. She doesn't take her to the bathroom. She doesn't give her proper hygiene care. And the worst of all of this is that because Evelyn's Alzheimer's was so advanced, she couldn't communicate, which meant that she couldn't communicate the neglect, which meant that Barbara continued to get away with it. But it just keeps getting worse. It wasn't long until Barbara had literally dominated the whole living space. She had completely taken over and she started throwing parties for herself. And something that I haven't touched on really yet, but if you remember in Barbara's childhood, she struggled to make friends. Well, that kind of carried on into her adult life. She didn't have any friends her own age. Also remember when I said that the relationship that Barbara had with her own mom would mirror the relationship that Barbara would have with her own children. Well, now we get to that because Barbara couldn't make any friends her own age because she's not a very nice person and no one wants to be around her. But because she didn't have any friends her own age, she completely inserted herself into her daughter's life. And this was Heather. This was the 13-year-old. And she started treating her 13-year-old daughter Heather as 
basically a best friend, which there is nothing wrong with being friends with your kids. I'm not saying that, but just like Barbara and her own mom, Barbara now with Heather, there are no boundaries. Barbara completely dominated Heather's life because Heather had her own group of friends, but Barbara would always want to tag along. So whenever Heather went to the mall with her friends, Barbara was there. Whenever Heather went to the movies, Barbara was there. Whenever Heather went to the roller rink, which she went every Friday, Barbara was there. And she wasn't just chaperoning her 13-year-old daughter. Oh no, she wanted to be one of the girls. She would insert herself into the conversation. She would act like she was also 13. She truly thought that she was a part of her daughter's friendship group. She really did think that she was not a regular mom. She's a cool mom. It even got to the point where Barbara was phoning up Heather's friends on the phone just for a girly chat. It's like, what parent does this? What parent does this? Imagine yourself as a 13-year-old. Imagine your parent phoning up your best friend for a chat. I would be mortified. And I'm sure Heather hated it as well. But Barbara is manipulative. She's an abuser. She's threatening. She's a bully. What can Heather do about this? Heather has to just put up with her mom being like this. But it went further than this. It did because it started to get really, really inappropriate. Because Barbara, like I said, she would start to throw parties at Jerry's house. Well, she started inviting all of Heather's school friends. So these are 13 and 14 year olds. She would invite them all over to the house. She would put the hot tub on, encourage all of these 13 and 14 year olds to get in the hot tub, to drink alcohol, smoke marijuana. And it's like, oh my God, they're 13 and 14. What the hell are you doing? And this bit, oh my God, truly oh, makes me sick to my stomach. Because at these parties, she would couple up the 13 and 14 year olds and she would say to the 13 and 14 year olds that they could take it in turns and go into Heather's bedroom to have sex. Yeah, you heard that right. Oh my God, no, no, no. Barbara was also encouraging her own daughter to have sex. Again, Heather is 13. And I don't know if any of these poor kids actually went through with this. I really hope that they didn't. And the parents of the children there, they soon found out what was going on and they banned their children from going over to Barbara's house ever again. And personally, I feel like I would have gone further than that. I feel like I would have reported Barbara to the police. And these incredibly inappropriate parties went on for a couple of months. And you've got to remember that these are going on at Jerry's house. And before long, he said that Barbara needed to get her act together, sort everything out, stop these parties. Otherwise, she would have to move out, which I think is pretty reasonable. He's still giving her another chance. Now you would think that Barbara would maybe think, hmm, maybe I should change. Maybe I should stop throwing these parties considering I have three children. And if I get kicked out, I have nowhere to go, which means my children will be out on the streets. And right now, Barbara is in a very good situation. Jerry is basically funding her life. She is really not having to pay for anything. But Barbara doesn't change. No, no, no. She actually finds out that Jerry has recently come into a lot of money, $40,000 to be exact, from selling one of his homes. And Barbara, because she was in charge of the groceries and medicine and all stuff like that, she had the checkbook. And she thought, well, seeing as he has so much money now, he won't notice if some goes missing. And she wrote herself a check for $1,800 and then went to cash it. Now, Jerry, of course, he noticed. And this was the final straw for him. He was like, no, get out of my home. But then for some reason, he changed his mind. And I don't know this for certain, but I can imagine it was the three children that changed his mind. I feel like it was the thought of the children being out on the street. So Jerry continued letting Barbara and the three children, Heather, Derek and Tiffany, live with him. And you would think... <laughs> I don't know why I say things like this, but you would think if Barbara was a decent human being, she would think, wow, Jerry is so kind and generous. He could have kicked me out, but he didn't. I am going to change and I'm going to do better. Instead, Barbara was actually infuriated at Jerry that he was possibly going to kick her out. She actually thought, how dare he try and kick me out because I want some of his money? And this is where it escalates. And I truly cannot get over the escalation in this case because Barbara wanted revenge. And it's like, revenge for what? Barbara thought, hmm, maybe I can get my hands on all 40 thousand dollars. However, this time she didn't want to steal the money from Jerry. No, she wanted to murder 
Jerry and take the money from him. It's like, how did it escalate to that? Seriously, why does she think the answer to her apparent problems is murder? And this is where this case just baffles me because this whole murder plan, it just came out of nowhere. It was completely senseless. All this man has ever done is put a roof over Barbara and her children's head. He's looked after her children whenever he can. He has become almost a father, grandfather figure to her children. He buys them gifts. He helps them with their homework. And to repay him, Barbara wants to murder him to get her hands on the $40,000. Barbara has taken advantage of Jerry, who you have to remember is so sick. He has terminal cancer. She has just completely taken advantage of this situation that Jerry is in. The fact that his mom has advanced Alzheimer's, it's just absolutely disgusting. I truly hate it to my core when people like Barbara take advantage of vulnerable people like Jerry. And I just want to point out that Barbara and the children have only been living with Jerry for three months. That is how quickly this has escalated. It's just complete insanity. It truly is. But this is when Barbara decides that she doesn't want to do the dirty work herself. No, she wants to get someone else to murder Jerry. So does she hire a hitman? or something like that. No, no, she decides to hire a bunch of teenagers. Yeah, you heard that right, a bunch of teenagers, but it wasn't just gonna be any teenagers, no. It was going to be Heather's friends. All of those young teenagers that Barbara hung out with and thought that they were her own friends, those were the teenagers that she was going to hire to murder Jerry. So Barbara literally started to go around Heather's friends and one by one, she would offer them money if they murdered Jerry. Thankfully, all of them turned her down, but Barbara was persistent. She would not leave them alone. There was one boy called Danny and she offered him 10 grand to murder Jerry. Now, thankfully, Danny said no. The next teenager she moved on to was Mariam, who happened to be Heather's best friend. Mariam was just 13 years old and Mariam came from a pretty broken home. Her mom was a heavy drug user and she was mainly in the care of her grandmother. But let's just say things were not easy for Mariam. She definitely had a tough upbringing and Barbara would phone up Mariam because you know, she would phone up Heather's friends just for a girl chat. She would phone up Mariam and she started to brainwash Mariam and she started to say on the phone to Mariam, Jerry is abusing Heather. We need to get rid of Jerry. You need to protect your best friend and murder Jerry. Now, Mariam at first thought that Barbara was joking. However, Barbara is pretty skilled at manipulation and she did start to brainwash Mariam into thinking that Jerry was an abuser, that he was abusing her best friend, Heather. And unbelievably, Mariam agreed to help. And there was one time where Mariam was visiting Barbara and Heather where Mariam attempted to kill Jerry. So Jerry was sat at the dining table and Mariam went up behind him with a baseball bat and hit him as hard as she could on the back of the head. Now, thankfully, because she's only a 13-year-old girl, she didn't do any damage. She didn't even knock Jerry out. All Mariam did was infuriate Jerry because Jerry was like, what the hell is this girl doing in my home? And hitting me on the head with a baseball bat. So Jerry kicked Mariam out and told her that she was never allowed back in his house. So after that failed attempt, Barbara actually did try to kill Jerry herself. She put weed killer in his food to poison him. And Jerry ate the food. Now, thankfully, it just made him violently sick. And Barbara realized that poison was not going to work. Also, recruiting a 13-year-old wasn't going to work. She needed someone a little bit older to do the dirty work for her. So she contacted an ex-boyfriend and offered them $5,000 to kill Jerry, which again, they said no. But what I don't understand about this case is that Barbara is not making it a secret that she wants to murder Jerry. She is going to everyone here, there, and everywhere. She is going to children and saying that she wants to murder Jerry. How are none of these people going to the police? Barbara had tried and failed to kill Jerry so many times at this point that Jerry had even clocked onto what she was doing. Jerry even told one of his cousins, quote, I think Barbara's trying to kill me. She wants my money. 
And when I was researching this case, I kept thinking, so why hasn't Jerry gone to the police? Why isn't Jerry kicking Barbara out? And we don't know the answers to these questions. Again, I feel like Jerry felt sorry for Barbara and the children, especially the children. Or maybe Jerry didn't think that Barbara would actually follow through with these plans. We just don't know. But Barbara was set on one thing and one thing only, and that was getting her hands on that money. And tragically, she would soon get her own way. So now we get to April of 2001. And this is when Barbara decided for the final time that she was going to get Jerry murdered. And this is what truly baffles me about so many cases. How do people not change their mind? How do people go about their lives planning to murder somebody? And how is it that at not one point do they think, hmm, no, I better not do this. This is wrong. And at this point, Barbara had asked a few adults to murder Jerry, but Barbara realized that teenagers were the way to go because teenagers were more vulnerable. She could manipulate them better. However, going after the 13 and 14 year olds that were Heather's friends, that probably wasn't the best idea. She needed an older teenager, but still young enough that she could manipulate them. So Heather and her friends and Barbara, they used to go to the roller rink every Friday. So that is where they were. And this is when Barbara comes across a 17-year-old boy called Jeff Grote. And Barbara was thinking to herself as soon as she laid eyes on Jeff, hmm, he looks perfect to carry out my murder plan. All she needed to do was convince him to take part in her plan. But how was she going to do this? Well, she decides to use her 13-year-old daughter, Heather, as sexual bait. Yeah, you heard that right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Barbara instructed her 13-year-old daughter, Heather, to go over to the 17-year-old, Jeff, and start flirting with him. She also told Heather to invite the 17-year-old boy back to their home. And this is exactly what Heather did. Heather went over to Jeff. She started flirting with him and she invited him back to her home. And I'm just truly like sickened to my stomach. Jeff has no problem with this, by the way. He is very aware that she is only 13 years old. So when Heather invites him back to her home, he says yes. Now I don't bloody care that he is 17. I know technically he's a child, but 17, you are old enough to know that getting with a 13-year-old is wrong. So Barbara drives the two of them back to the home. And what happens next? I have no words for. Because Barbara instructed her 13-year-old daughter, Heather, I know I keep saying her age, but I feel like I need to remind us all how young she is. Barbara instructed her 13-year-old daughter to take Jeff into her bedroom and have sex with him. Barbara is essentially pimping out her daughter. And I wish I could tell you that it didn't happen, but it did. Heather took Jeff into her bedroom and they had sex. It makes me feel physically sick. And this goes on like this for the next few days. Heather would keep inviting Jeff over to the home. They would have sex. Barbara would wait outside of the bedroom and wait until they finished. How can she listen to that? I just, I, I can't. I don't know how she can use her vulnerable daughter in this way. Now, thankfully, later on, this actually would be investigated as a sex crime. But what I found incredibly heartbreaking is that Heather later told investigators, quote, he's the first boy I've ever had sex with and he didn't need to wear a condom because I haven't had any periods yet. So therefore I can't get pregnant. And if that statement doesn't just highlight how young she is, I don't know what will. And what I found truly disgusting and disheartening actually is when I was doing my research for this case, the media reporting surrounding this case, especially one of the documentaries that I watched on this case, didn't really seem to mind that a 17 year old is having sex with a 13 year old. It's like, that's wrong. That's a crime. There was one documentary and I got so, so, so angry at because one of the people on the documentary actually said that Barbara was taking advantage of Heather's attractive, youthful sexuality. 
sorry, what? I cannot even tell you how many times when I'm researching these cases where children are sexualized. And I do highlight it, of course. I get infuriated by everyone. She should not be, as a 13-year-old, sexualized in any way. If you were to listen to traditional media or documentaries on this case, you would think that it was two consenting teenagers having sex when that is not what is happening here. It's just really disheartening that Heather, who is a victim at this point, she is only 13, years old. It's just really disheartening when someone describes a victim of a sex crime as using their attractive youthful sexuality. It's just disheartening because I just want the world to be better. And then when I hear things like that, I'm reminded that it's not. Anyway, rant over, back to the case. After Heather and Jeff would have sex. Barbara was obviously listening outside. Jeff would come out of the room and Barbara would fill his head with a load of nonsense that Jerry was abusing Heather. It's ironic, isn't it, that the two abusers are talking about somebody else abusing Heather when it's actually them two. Really ironic, isn't it? But Barbara would fill Jeff's head and say that Jerry is abusing Heather. And I'm really sorry, their names are very similar, aren't they? Jeff and Jerry. But yeah, Barbara would say that Jeff needed to protect his new girlfriend from the abuser Jerry. And it wasn't long until Barbara invited Jeff to live with them in the basement. And I just want to point out that this was only one week after they first met. One week after Barbara, Heather and Jeff first met, Jeff is now living with them. And this is when Barbara starts to reveal to Jeff her murder plans. She tells Jeff that she needs help murdering Jerry because, you know, Jerry is the abuser. He's the bad guy in this whole situation and he needs to be murdered. And in exchange, Barbara agreed to buy Jeff a brand new car. And unbelievably, Jeff agrees. And Barbara thinks, great, my plan is finally coming together because Jeff, he's still a teenager, but he's got a bit of muscle. She's thinking this is actually going to happen this time. However, she does think that Jeff might need some backup. So she asks Jeff, does he know anyone that can help? So Jeff goes and recruits a couple of his friends. 14-year-old Kyle Boston, yep, 14. And then Kyle's cousin, 13-year-old Michael. These ages, it's on honestly crazy. And Barbara agrees to give Kyle $200 for the murder and Michael $100 for the murder. And they agree to help. Again, I'm just so baffled by this because I know that these two, they are younger, 14 and 13. So you have to take that into account. However, at 13 and 14, you know that murder is wrong. But it wasn't just these three teenagers that were going to take part in the plan. No, Barbara wanted to recruit a couple more teenagers to make sure that the job got done. And who did she recruit? Well, she recruited none other than her own daughter, 13-year-old Heather, and Heather's best friend, 13-year-old Mariam. Mariam is the one that has already tried to kill Jerry one time with the baseball bat. But just like the other teenagers, Heather and Mariam agree to participate in the murder. And I'm just like, what the hell? What the hell? I mean, so far, Heather has been a victim in this story. She is a victim to her own mom. Her whole life she has been abused, bullied, manipulated, gaslit. She has even been pimped out by her own mom. Heather is scared and intimidated by her mom. But then I found out what Heather wrote in her diary. Yeah, we have another diary entry. Heather wrote in her diary that she was very excited about the murder because her mom had promised her that she would get a new bike for murdering Jerry. She actually wrote in her diary that she was excited So up until that point, I felt really sorry for Heather. But also you have to remember that Jerry has become a father, grandfatherly figure to her. They have grown very close. How can she be excited about murdering someone that she has grown very close to? Mariam, the 13-year-old, also agreed to participate in the murder. She was also apparently excited because Barbara had promised her some new roller skates if she participated. It's just so complicated completely, utterly messed up. So now we get to Friday the 13th of April 2001. Literally one week after Barbara first met Jeff, because remember they met at the roller rink and they went there every Friday and this is only the next Friday. And this is where Barbara's tragic plan was finally put into action. So on this day, inside this house, there was Barbara Opal, her three children, 
Heather, Derek and Tiffany. The other teenagers that were there to participate in the murder, so that was Jeff, Kyle and Michael and Mariam. But then Jerry's mom, Evelyn, was also there. She is wheelchair bound and she was currently in the kitchen in her wheelchair. Now at this point, Jerry was not home, but he was soon due to return home. And this is when Barbara got everyone prepared. First of all, she armed Jeff, Kyle and Michael with baseball bats. And the baseball bat that she gave to Jeff was a metal one, which shows how much damage that baseball bat could do. And then she gave Heather and Mariam kitchen knives. Barbara then laid out the plans. She told them that they needed to wait until Jerry came home. She assigned specific roles to each teenager. She instructed Jeff, Kyle and Michael to hide on the ground floor. And Barbara, Heather, Mariam and then the two younger children, Derek and Tiffany, they were to hide downstairs in the basement. And then as soon as Jerry came home, he would come through the front door and he would walk into the kitchen. And this is where the attack would take place. I just want to remind you all that Jerry's own mom, who has advanced Alzheimer's, is also in the kitchen. And very sadly, this is exactly what happened. At some point in the next hour or so, Jerry walked through the front door into the kitchen, and this is when the brutal plan began to unfold. It started with Jeff picking up the metal baseball bat, which he used to strike Jerry in the back of his head, knocking him to the ground. This left Jerry in complete shock and fear. He tried to pull himself off the floor to defend himself to what he probably thought were intruders. But as soon as he started to get up off the floor, this is when Kyle and Michael joined in the attack. They picked up their baseball bats and both of them just repeatedly started hitting Jerry, preventing him from getting off the floor. Next, Kyle started to punch Jerry in the face while Michael was still hitting him with the baseball bat. Jeff at this point was just overlooking the whole attack. He wasn't actually doing anything right now. And what makes this a million times worse is that Jerry's mom, Evelyn, was in a wheelchair and she was in full view of this. She was watching. Now, of course, she has advanced Alzheimer's, so we don't quite know what she could understand. But it's possible that she could understand what was going on, but just couldn't communicate in any kind of way. And it's, oh my God, this just makes it a million times worse that they are literally killing Jerry in front of his own mom. They literally have an audience watching the murder. However, at some point during this brutal attack, Kyle and Michael got scared for some reason. I don't know if they changed their mind. I don't know. But they picked up Jerry's car keys and fled. They got in Jerry's car and drove off. And as soon as Barbara realized that two of her teenagers that she had enlisted for this murder had run off, this is when Barbara sends up her own daughter, Heather, and her friend, Mariam, to continue on the attack. As soon as the two girls got upstairs, they started waving their knives around. They were trying to attack Jerry, but they didn't really know what to do. Meanwhile, Jeff is now continuing on the attack. He's picked up his baseball bat again, and he is just repeatedly swinging his baseball bat and hitting Jerry, leaving Jerry completely weak and defenseless and completely beaten down to the ground. And it was at this point that Barbara started shouting up from the basement, words of encouragement like she's a bloody cheerleader. But as soon as Barbara started shouting up her words of encouragement, Mariam also got scared. She ran back down the basement and tried to flee the house through a downstairs window. But as soon as Barbara saw that Mariam was trying to make an escape, Barbara grabbed her back and said to her, what the hell do you think you are doing? What kind of best friend are you? Are you really going to run away while your best friend Heather is murdering somebody? And at this point, Marion felt like she had no other choice but to go back upstairs and continue on the attack on Jerry. So when Marion went back upstairs to rejoin the attack, Heather, with her knife, had already stabbed Jerry multiple times in the side. So blood was now pouring from Jerry's body. Also, so Jeff had repeatedly hit Jerry so many times with the baseball bat, the blood was actually starting to spurt from Jerry's body as well. And again, this just is so heartbreaking, but because blood was spurting from Jerry's body, his blood was hitting his mom, Evelyn, in the wheelchair. Blood was going all over her, all over her wheelchair. Meanwhile, Barbara is still downstairs because she's not exactly going to get involved, is she? She again shouts at words of 
encouragement and she actually shouts, stab him, stab him. But Mariam couldn't bring herself to stab Jerry. And at this point, Jerry was barely clinging to his life, but he was still rolling around on the ground trying to fight back. And it's heartbreaking to think that he probably saw Heather. He probably saw that it was Heather that was the one attacking him. And I can imagine that that probably broke his heart. But Jerry was struggling to breathe. He had lost so much blood at this point. And it was sadly now that Jeff now picked up a knife and he cut Jerry's throat. Now, of course, this did a lot of damage, but Jerry was still alive. He was not moving at this point, but he was still breathing. And it was now that Mariam, the one that was too scared to join in, that didn't want to stab him, didn't want to join in the attack, was apparently fleeing the scene because she was so scared. It was now Mariam that picked up the baseball bat, lifted it over her head and smashed it over Jerry's head three times, completely crushing his skull. And this was the blow that ultimately led Jerry to lose his life. The man who had opened up his home to Barbara and her children that had been so generous. And this was all done in front of his incapacitated 89-year-old mom. And this case, it's hard to hear the brutality of it, the senselessness of this murder. And it was all orchestrated by Barbara for $40,000. So following the absolutely brutal murder, Barbara came upstairs and she began the cleanup operation. And who did she enlist to help her in the cleanup operation? Well, she enlisted her two younger children, Derek and Tiffany. Remember, they are only 11 and 7. She enlisted her two younger children to help clean up a murder. She instructed Derek and Tiffany to clean up blood, to clean up brain matter. It is absolutely beyond belief. Barbara also instructed her two younger children to clean up the blood that had landed on Evelyn. And once the cleanup had finished, Barbara instructed Jeff to get a rug from the living room they wrapped Jerry's body in the rug. They then carried Jerry's body out to the car before driving out to a quiet area of the town and they literally dumped Jerry's body in a woodland area. They also dumped the murder weapons, which included the baseball bats and the knives. Barbara tried to cover up her crimes even more by pouring acid over Jerry's body to try and disfigure his face. And then what doesn't make sense to me because they have really tried to make sure that if Jerry's body is discovered, he is not identifiable. But at the same time, Barbara dumps Jerry's ID cards next to his body. And then following this, what does Barbara do? She takes her children and the group of teenagers that helped murder Jerry. She takes them all to Denny's for a late breakfast and she pays for it using Jerry's checkbook. They were even joined by Kyle and Michael, the two teenagers that fled the scene. And guess where they went when they fled the scene? They should have gone to the police maybe reported the crime. But no, they actually went to a bowling alley with some girls and they had driven there using Jerry's car. So Kyle and Michael also joined them at Denny's. Barbara had clearly forgiven them for fleeing the scene. Barbara paid everyone the money that they were owed and they all went their separate ways. And then the next day, and I feel like this case, it keeps getting more and more twisted. Barbara returns to Jerry's home in a U-Haul truck. She had rented out the U-Haul truck with Jerry. Jerry's money, of course. She then proceeds to basically steal all of Jerry's furniture. She packed up all of Jerry's valuables, all of his furniture. She packed up all of her own things and she drove off in the U-Haul truck, leaving Jerry's mother Evelyn in a wheelchair, completely abandoned in the house. Yeah, you had that right. I just feel like how they are treating Evelyn makes this case a million times worse. Barbara found an apartment that she liked. She paid for six months rent using Jerry's checkbook. And then she took the kids on a spending spree. And in 24 hours, Barbara had already spent eight thousand dollars of Jerry's money. And then five whole days go by and Barbara really thinks that she's gotten away with this murder. No one comes looking for her. No one is looking for Jerry. She truly thinks that she is getting away with murder. However, all of that is soon about to change because on the 18th of April 2001, something happened that Barbara wasn't expecting because Jerry's son, a man named Greg, had planned to visit his father 
on this week. And this had all been planned in advance, but Barbara didn't know about it. So Greg was waiting at the airport with his wife. He was waiting for his dad to pick him up like they had arranged, but his dad, Jerry, didn't show up at the airport. Greg tried phoning his dad, but no one was answering the phone. And Greg started to get quite concerned. So with his wife, he took a taxi from the airport to Jerry's home, knocks on the door, no answer. So Greg goes to neighbors and asks, have you seen my dad? And all of the neighbors say, no, we haven't seen Jerry in a few days. However, we did see Barbara with a U-Haul truck here about five days ago. Now, I'm not sure how much Greg knew about Barbara, but he was very concerned. None of this was making any sense. So he went back to the house and he went round to a side window and he managed to break into the home. And what he found was basically an abandoned home. And Greg also came across Evelyn, his grandmother, abandoned in the kitchen in her wheelchair. Now, Evelyn has just been sat in her wheelchair for five days. And honestly, it makes me feel so emotional. It's just absolutely horrific what they did to Evelyn as well. And because five days had passed, Evelyn was severely dehydrated. Her lips were cracked and bleeding. She was absolutely starving. She had soiled herself. She had developed terrible rashes because she had soiled herself. And obviously she was unable to clean herself, obviously. And she was so, so hungry that when Greg found her, Evelyn was actually eating newspapers because it was the only thing that she could reach from her wheelchair. It's honestly a miracle that she was even still alive. And Greg immediately phoned 911 and he tried to clean Evelyn up as best as he could. So when investigators got to the home, they immediately tried to work out what had gone on. Where was Jerry? What had happened? However, what investigators found was Jerry's blood all over the kitchen because Barbara hadn't cleaned up very well after the murder. I mean, what do you expect? She enlisted two children to clean up a murder scene. They're not exactly going to do it very well, are they? They even found blood on Evelyn's clothes and on her wheelchair. But not just that, they soon realized, I mean, of course, the house was pretty much empty. They realized that because Jerry had basically been robbed of all of his personal possessions and also Jerry's financial records were scattered all over the floor, the police quickly figured out that it was highly likely that Jerry had been murdered. So they get straight to work to figure out had he been murdered? Who are the suspects? And it didn't take long for Barbara Opal's name to come up. Because the police, they're obviously going to talk to neighbours. And Barbara had a bit of a reputation. The neighbours tell the police that Barbara was seen in a U-Haul truck about five days earlier. So the police are like, okay, I think we need to track down Barbara. But did they find it hard to track down Barbara and the U-Haul truck? No, they actually didn't because karma came into play. Because pretty much immediately as the police started looking for a U-Haul truck that Barbara Opal was driving, a call came into the station that a U-Haul truck had been involved in a traffic accident. And who was inside the U-Haul truck? Who was driving the U-Haul truck? Well, of course, it was Barbara Opal. Also, Jeffrey Grote was also in the U-Haul truck. So the police go out to the traffic accident and they immediately arrest Barbara and Jeff. Heather was also in the U-Haul truck as well as the two younger children. So they're all brought into the police station. Now, Barbara is interviewed first because the police are only interested in her right now. And at first, Barbara tries to act completely innocent. She tries to say that Jerry just went off on his own. She started to really play into the fact that Jerry had terminal cancer and she started saying things like, oh, Jerry just couldn't take life anymore and he just ran off. And he had given Barbara all of his possessions and money in the process. So, you know, completely innocent. But the police are not buying it, of course, because they have found Jerry's blood all over the house. But Barbara is not saying anything at all. So the police decide to ask the other children what has happened. So the police talk to the younger two children, Derek and Tiffany. And of course, it's not really an interview because they're children. But when the police start talking to the two younger children, they soon start to reveal what happened. Because they're children, they're going to tell the truth. Derek and Tiffany are taken into separate rooms and the police start gently asking them about Jerry, about what happened. And the two children say that according to their mom, Jerry was a 
bad person. And that because he was a bad person, he needed to be taken care of. Jerick and Tiffany revealed that a few days ago, their sister Heather, along with a few other teenagers, they murdered Jerry. They beat him to death. These poor kids, these two poor children also said to the police that it was them that cleaned up the crime scene. Can you imagine the trauma that these two young children especially have gone through? Now, the police were absolutely astounded by this. They had never heard of anything like it. I mean, the fact that Barbara had enlisted literal children to carry out a murder and clean up a crime scene, it's unheard of. Heather was also obviously in the police station, so was Jeff. So they had two of the teenagers in custody and the police managed to track down the other teenagers that were involved in this murder, which was Mariam, Kyle and Michael. Derek and Tiffany, the two youngest children, also revealed the location of Jerry's body. And this is when the police came across Jerry's body. Everything that the two younger children had said was true. And this is when Barbara Opal, along with her daughter Heather, Jeff, Mariam, Kyle and Michael were all charged with first degree murder. So now we skip forward a year and the case finally goes to trial. But this is not a simple case at all because there are teenagers involved, actual children. Five teenagers killed Jerry, three of which were only 13 years old. And all of these teenagers in some way were manipulated by Barbara. Now, despite these complications, the state decided that given the severity of the crimes, four out of the five teenagers would be tried as adults, which meant that if they were found guilty, they could face incredibly long prison sentences. With advice from their legal counsel, most of the teenagers pleaded guilty to receive lower sentences. So we'll start with Michael. He was only 13 years old and he was the only teenager to be tried as a minor. And because of this, he was sent to juvenile detention where he was to stay until he was 21 years old. Then there was Kyle. He was 14 years old and he was tried as an adult. He pleaded guilty to second degree murder and he was sentenced to 18 years in prison. Then we have Jeff Grote, who was 17 years old at the time of the murder and therefore deemed most responsible for his actions. He was the only one out of all five teenagers to plead not guilty guilty. So he obviously had a trial. However, given the overwhelming amount of evidence, he was found guilty and he was sentenced to 50 years in prison. Then we have the two younger girls, Mariam and Heather. Now, Mariam was 13 at the time of the crime. She was tried as an adult. She pleaded guilty and she received a prison sentence of 22 years for delivering the final blow. And then finally, Heather Opal, Barbara's 13-year-old daughter. She was also tried as an adult and despite numerous protests from her defense team about all of the abuse that she had suffered her whole life, she too was also sentenced to 22 years in prison. And now we need to talk about Barbara because even though Barbara wasn't the one that actually murdered Jerry with her own hands, in my opinion, she is the most responsible for this murder. If it wasn't for Barbara, this murder would never have taken place. But did Barbara plead guilty like the majority of the teenagers? Mm, no, she pleaded not guilty. She went to trial because she was not about to accept any responsibility for her actions. She actually turned on the teenagers, especially her daughter. She threw her own daughter under the bus to save her own skin. She said that she had nothing to do with Jerry's murder whatsoever. Barbara did say that she had ordered the children to beat up Jerry, but that was it. Only beat him up, not murder. Barbara didn't want Jerry to be murdered. That must have been Heather and the other teenagers. They clearly made that decision themselves. She turned on her own daughter and said that Heather had a vendetta against Jerry, that it was Heather that was the mastermind behind the attack and the murder. She also tried to trash Jerry's reputation in the trial, which makes it so much worse. She actually said that Jerry was abusing her daughter, Heather, and that she doesn't blame 
her daughter Heather for murdering her abuser, which is complete BS. Jerry was nothing but a kind and generous person. She really is the lowest of the low. She will really do anything to save her own skin. However, in the end, Barbara was not about to get away with her crimes. Because at the trial, Jeff, Mariam, and even her own daughter Heather gave evidence against her. And in the end, Barbara Opal was found guilty of first degree murder. And the death penalty was even considered in this case, and it would have made Barbara Opal the first woman to be put to death in the state of Washington. However, the jury decided against the death penalty, and she was given life without parole. Following the trial, the two younger children, Derek, age 11, and Tiffany, age 7, they were immediately placed in foster care, and Barbara was ordered never to have contact with her children again. Tiffany was able to make a pretty full recovery from the trauma that she had been through, but the same could not be said for Derek. Because after only two years in foster care, Derek was charged with sexual offences against preschool age children. And he was just 13 years old himself. I don't even know what to say. Obviously, Derek should never do anything like that. But I feel like that just shows how messed up Barbara has made her children. Derek is only 13 years old and he's sexually assaulting other children. It's just so messed up. Barbara has ruined so many lives. In the years that have passed, Michael was eventually released from juvenile detention when he turned 21 years old. Kyle was also released from prison. Mariam gave a TED talk from prison and she was also released from prison after serving 20 years out of her 22 year sentence in October of 2021. Heather Opal also was released after serving 20 years of her 22 year sentence and Heather was 34 years old when she was released from prison. And Jeff Grote, he was obviously sentenced to 50 years in prison. However, last year he won an appeal and he could be released from prison any day now. He actually already could be out. I couldn't find whether he was released or not, but he served approximately 22 years out of his 50 year sentence. And then Barbara Opal, well, she is still behind bars where she belongs. And I'm sure some people will think that the five teenagers that were involved in this case should still be behind bars as well. And honestly, this case, I have so many conflicting emotions when it comes to this case. First of all, when it comes to Jeff, he was 17. I do not feel sorry for him whatsoever. And he knows as a 17 year old, he should not be sleeping with a 13 year old child. But at 17, you are basically an adult. There is no excuse. You know that murdering a stranger for a car is wrong. He also only knew Barbara and Heather for a week. Jeff, in my opinion, is the second one that holds the most responsibility in this case after Barbara. And then when it comes to Kyle and Michael, they were 14 and 13 years old. So you obviously have to take into account their age, even though they are still at the age where you know that murder is wrong. I don't even know why they agreed to murder Jerry. I really don't. They also hadn't been manipulated by Barbara in any way. They literally didn't even know Barbara. And then when it comes to Heather and Mariam, they were both 13 years old at the time of the murder. Again, they are at an age where you know that murder is wrong. However, Mariam, she was manipulated and bullied by Barbara. Mariam was brainwashed into thinking that Jerry was abusing her best friend. And Heather, we obviously heard a lot about Heather. Heather was abused, manipulated, and bullied her whole life by her mother, Barbara. However, does this excuse their actions? I don't think so. Heather wrote in her diary that she was excited about the murder because she was going to get a new bike. And Marion was also willing to participate in the murder in exchange for rollerblades. And therefore, I think they are responsible for their own actions. And I think Heather especially because she saw Jerry as a father figure. How can you murder somebody that you see as a father figure? And for then Heather especially to turn around and kill Jerry in such a cold and brutal way is inexcusable. And Barbara, do I even really need to say my opinion on Barbara? She is the lowest of the low and there is a special place in hell waiting for her. But we have talked enough about Barbara and the abusive manipulator bully that she is. But now I want to focus on the victim of today's case and that is Jerry Hyman. 
Jerry Hyman was described as a warm, generous, and friendly man who was full of laughter and just loved life. He loved the outdoors, cooking, spending time with friends and family fishing, and he was also a family man who loved being with his kids and his grandkids. At his trial, Jerry's kids had the chance to speak about him, and they described him as a kind-hearted man who would never hurt a fly. He cared for his mother, Evelyn. He was also fighting cancer, and all he did was open up his home to Barbara and try and help her and her three young children. He was the most sweet and generous man, and he was taken before his time. He was only 64 years old. And sadly, Evelyn, she was treated and she was able to recuperate after the abandonment. She sadly passed away two years after this case. And that brings us to the end of this absolutely horrific case. And it really does just anger me that Barbara stole those two years away from Jerry, the two years that he could have spent extra with his mom. And that brings us to the end of the episode on Barbara Opal. There are no updates on this case. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would really mean a lot if you could leave a five-star review. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producers at Audio Boom Studios, and I'll see you all in the next one.